Hi, I'm Dr. Christopher Newman. I'm Professor of Space Law and Policy at the University of Northumbria in Newcastle in the United Kingdom. I'm also International Space Law Advisor for Cold Star Technologies. I listen to the Cold Star Project. The show is for entertainment purposes only and is not intended to be what is termed professional advice. The Cold Star Project is proudly presented by the Operational Excellence Society. Cold Star Tech is a supporter of the OPEX Society, and Jason Gannigan is a member of its board of advisors. Talk with us at Cold Star Tech to find out more about the OPEX Society and what we can achieve together in your organization, or just visit opexsociety.org. Thanks for joining us for today's show. Time for another episode of the Cold Star Project. We are here with Dr. Yan Song, senior executive at a major Fortune 500 company. I guess all Fortune 500 companies are major. And we're continuing our conversation about this critical thing called operationalizing company culture, cultural development. It is not something that just should be left to accidentally grow on its own. That would create mold. And it should, uh, it should be built in. This is what all the great companies are working on right now, building it into the daily activities that uh, people do in the organization in order to produce the best result, right? Which is the improvement of the company culture. So if you're wondering what that means, uh, this is the third interview in uh, what will probably be a four or five part series. The link to the playlist so that you can go back to the first one and watch it if you missed that uh, is below in the description. And this is the kind of talk that you will not hear anywhere else. Uh, Dr. Song should be charging zillions of dollars for this because it's incredibly valuable. Now I understand that uh, it may not seem applicable to small business or something like that, but it's incredibly valuable. Um, it all starts with you, the individual, and me, the individual. I have been working on some of this stuff for a long time, the, the foundational uh, pieces of it. However, talking with Ian uh, has really opened my eyes to a higher level, and I hope that you'll uh, enjoy that conversation with us. This is a longer episode. It ended up being longer than we intended, but I do not want to split it up into two or three pieces because I think Yam kind of talks about this partway through. We don't want to leave anybody stranded. You know, hey, if you've got to listen to this in <laughs> sections and pieces, I fully understand. But uh, this is a conversation well worth having and for you to listen to. So Yan, welcome. All right, Yan. So we're going to be talking uh, about the next step, the second step of uh, of, of operationalizing cultural development. And uh, we've got some notes here. Um, you've got some slides. We're going to be talking about this incredibly yeah. important topic. Now, I want to caution our audience. <laughs> this is uh, what, what Dr. Song is doing here is like breaking new ground. Um, it's uh, It's been a long struggle for him to learn and apply this stuff. Uh, I'm just at the edge of it. And I, I'm very pleased that I wrote some notes that he said, yeah, you got it. <laughs> you got the, the, <laughs> the success and the problems here, right? Yeah. So, yeah. There, you know, what we're going to be talking about is not a a cut and dried proven system, if you will, right? It's a, it's a step. It's something that we must move into if we're to progress. Um, but on the other hand, there's quicksand, it's muddy, uh, and we'll be talking about this, uh, you know, these various factors that uh, can come up and, and bite you <laughs> or pull you down, right? Uh, so, you know, everything is not perfect in the land of uh, managing change, right? <laughs> It's always this this very difficult thing. So um, I guess, where would you like to start, Yeah. 
Okay, so uh, you know, like you said, Jason, we're, we're dealing with something here. I would say non-trivial, right? So okay. it's 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 certainly very complex, but incredibly relevant because this is how we live, and you know, life is messy, as we all know. Um, but that's the only life we've got, <laughs> so uh, we can't run away from it. Hmm. Um, so I think the last session we talked about the first step, right? Just sort of get the lay of the land mm -hmm. and and sort of situate ourselves a little bit in the reality, right? Uh, it's not pretty, right? Um, certainly rather messy. Um, but if we run away from it, we don't have a life. So um, I think it's very important that we have that kind of mindset, right? But having said that, um, I think I mentioned this last time as well. Many people, once they saw how ugly it is, you know, how messy it is, there's a tendency to just run away from it. And, you know, I, I don't want to deal with it, right? So let someone else, <laughs> you know, clean up. And um, uh, before, you know, I get close to it. Um, and, and we all know that's simply not what the leader would do. And simply not what anyone who want to live a uh, real life would do, right? So, um, so that's where I want to start, right? So, given all this, is there something we can do, right? Other than just go through hell and 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 suffer through this? And a lot of work I'm going to touch on today uh, came from a sort of um, almost like an enlightenment movement in the 80s and 90s, um, um, you know, somewhat in the 2000 mm -hmm. and, you know, it's called organizational learning. I don't know if you heard of this word, right? Um, one of the mm -hmm. leaders of the movement is, uh, is this uh, Harvard professor by the name of Chris Archeris. Mm -hmm. So, um, I'm going to use some of his work today to just to um, get, you know, the listeners um, uh, a little familiar, right? How we actually can move this very rugged territory, right, called human culture and improve it, believe it or not, and, and make our lives better. So... To me, it's incredibly exciting. <laughs> you know, I'm not saying this is a simple, um, this is sort of a piece of a cake, um, but something that's very concrete and uh, I can testify it works, right? So uh, I have, you know, a few slides because a lot of those things is, is, is hard call social science, right? So uh, it's, uh, you know, I'm, I'm also, a physicist by by training and by nature really i like models right so my slides is basically show you some models so that we can so make sense of what's going on and, and then see where we came from where we're going right what we're dealing with so that we can learn how to be uh, more effective okay but before i go to this let me just start with a story that um Professor Azuris told in one of his books, right? So 
So he's not armchair philosopher. He spent significant amount of time, if not half, you know, very significant amount of time consulting with various, you know, business organizations or, or um, uh, you know, this is what I read most from him, that, you know, the corporations, you know, um, that he, he works with. Um, so one of those companies hired him to look into how they are operating and see how they can uh, improve their operations, all right? I mean, some of our audience is operational excellence, right? This is right in their turf. So, so he was being hired a consultant as many of our listeners are a consultant, right? Uh, hired by business to go in there. So they hired him saying, you know, you know, look at how we operate and tell us how we can improve, right? So they uh, line up a dozen people. So this is a manufacturing uh, uh, business. So they just provide access to a dozen of their managers or frontline, you know, formats. So he talked to them and uh, had a workshop then came up with a bunch of ideas, you know, how they can be improved the operations. And within like a couple of months, basically, they have implemented a few operational improvements that saved the company, you know, over $200,000. You know, this was in the, you know, 70s. <laughs> so $200,000 is, 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 is <laughs> real money. Okay. It's, it's not today. It's uh, 200000 So the company executive was just delighted, right? Like they hired Jason and within a couple of months, they saved <laughs> real money. Right? So they were very delighted and they sort of uh, uh, scheduled a banquet, you know, to celebrate. You know, so, so what's this? But you know, the reason Professor Archie told the story is because, you know, he, had, he hadn't started his story yet, right? <laughs> so his question to the, the team that's been appointed to work with him was that, well, you know, are those ideas just new? You just came out with, you know, um, yesterday when asked or, or since you know, I ask or, or what? Those people said, oh, no, I, we've known this for years, right? And um, and so that's why we can came up very quickly and implement very quickly. Hmm. And and Professor Arturus just said, well, that's funny. So if you've known this for years, why did you not tell your management and then just do it uh, instead of spending money hiring me uh, come to, you know, sort of uh, tell you, <laughs> you know, because Chris Archer's did, didn't tell them what to do. I mean, right. they, they had the idea. They even knew how to implement it. So, but those foremen just look at them, him like, you know, he's teaming from a, a outer space or something, right? Basically saying, are you crazy? Are you kidding me? So that's just a phenomenon. I, I don't think any one of us who work in organizations feel this somewhat you know, strange. I, I think this is rather commonplace, but that's the point. And that's what 
Professor Chris Argyris is trying to make, right? So what made us to behave in such a way? Because it's really not serving us as a collective, right? I mean, we could have been better, but we simply let opportunities just, you know, go away and not paying attention, um, not do as well as we could, right? In terms of human potential, we have the potential to be better, but somehow we sort of, you know, neutralize ourselves and, and, and can't move, can't improve. What is that? Why is that? What is behind this behavior, right? And and just like, you know, those team leads and foremans that, like, you know, you can't even ask this question. If you ask this question, people saying you're crazy, right? You know, are you kidding me? Of course, I can't see this. How could I tell my boss, you know, something's wrong? Right. So, uh, and that's the science that uh, Professor Argyris and, and, you know, whole other, you know, um, researchers mm -hmm. looked into. And I think Professor Argyris called this action science, right? He's basically developed scientific theories explaining this kind of actions or non-actions, right. lack of actions, right. right? So so that's where we start. Uh, and this is what I mean by entering new territory, right? Mm -hmm. Because for most people, those questions cannot be asked. You know, if you entertain those questions, you are crazy or you're kidding me, mm -hmm. right? But that's exactly what you need to ask in order to make progress culturally mm -hmm. right this is what what i mean by enter new territory yeah so there's something very odd going on here yeah which unfortunately we accept as normal where uh we see something that's wrong maybe on the line level uh yep. you know the production line or or uh, frontline employee level is what i mean um and yet we're afraid to stand out because now we're in the crosshairs of management for being weird and speaking up and maybe looking like you're not with the program. And, uh, and so what this company hiring Professor Andrews to come in and help with was not about ideas, but permission, right? Yes. Permission, yes. the feeling that it was okay now to, to do something about it. So I'm looking forward to your exploration of this concept. Yeah, and, and I think this is a very common phenomenon, right? We often say, mm -hmm. I mean, the, the value of a consultant is permission, right? It's not necessarily those consultants know better. Mm -hmm. It's that they have the permission from management to actually name things, right? Mm -hmm. To put things in, on the table in a way that is non-political, right? At least, mm -hmm. you know, not as political as it would otherwise, so that the organization can actually act on something. And, and see something and do something. So, um, so, but most people just treat this as a one-off, right? Okay, you know, we hired McKinsey, we hired whoever, right? Do this one-off, that's it, you know, you come and gone. So, but what Professor Argyris and other scientists try to do is to make sense of this, right? So-called sciences, there's a pattern you can, there's a causal relationship, right? You can act on it and make it sustainable, 
make something that you can repeat. You know, if we talk about operational excellence, right? We want this something to be repeatable. Otherwise, it's not excellence, right? right? Yeah. It's just a one-off. Okay, so let's let's go into um, this. Um, I'll just you know use this uh, um, very simple slide. You know, the, the way I, the reason I like it is is you know somewhat visual, right? So. So this is, uh, in essence, the model that uh, Chris Adres and others uh, developed. You know, the academic name is called the mental models. It's basically, it's saying that, you know, every one of us as human beings, right? You know, our mental model is like an operating system inside ourselves. This is how we operate as human beings. And by the way, as organization, we have those developed, accepted, right, mandated mental models. That is the backbone of culture. If we talk about culture, it is really what the mental models has been accepted, has been blessed as legitimate. And what other mental models has been considered or not considered at all, right? So. That's what we're talking about. When we're talking about the culture change, you know, cultural transformation, we're really talking about changing mental models or not, <laughs> or fighting, you know, some mental model that we don't want, all right? So, but first thing first, let's look at, you know, what is mental model? So this is basically um, the, the fruit of, you know, uh, you know, more than half century of research in social science, right? So, so we have a certain mindset specifically, it's about the values, right? What we think is important, what do we hold dear, right? And also what basic assumptions about we make, right? It's like those company, uh, you know, foremans, right? Managers, they assume I could not tell my boss that something's not good that we have been doing for a long time because whatever, right? Maybe that's how their founders have started their business. He's always done things that way. And he's made it very clear that that's his way <laughs> if you want to work here or he might have implicitly sort of you know, um, in, so to implant those values in people's mindset. But however it got there, it got there, right? The fact is those team of managers have known those opportunities for years, but didn't even consider it's possible to speak up and, and, and act on them, right? So they have implicit values and assumptions in their head why they couldn't do that. So what behavior you saw, they do nothing, right? They just let those, you know, real money waiting, <laughs> right? So, um, and what's the result? Of course, your business suffers. And imagine your competitor have somehow cracked this nut, right? They've got their people 
more open up and look into those opportunities and behave differently, they will beat you, be the hell out of you. Mm -hmm. and, and that's how those entire organizations, the marketplace, you know, evolve. It's because we make those incremental changes, improvement, right? However, partial or looks like you know trivial this is like you know at least this company hired professor archers actually did something right mm. so a bunch of other companies probably never even thought about this <laughs> so uh, so they are already ahead and so it just shows you that the opportunity the potential is always there the question is you know are we aware are we looking at right are we turning those potential into reality so without a robust science right robust tool it's very difficult to do this because like you know we we, we we've examined in previous two years there's a lot of talk you know even as press prestigious as you know harvard business review right i would say Honestly, the, most of the things that are talking about culture are just nonsense. And I can, I can think about any number of articles. It's just, it's just talking nonsense. And, but that's an indication how hard this is. So um, if it's easy, it's been done a long time ago, right? So, so this is a basic model, right? We needed to see we're talking about causal relationship here. It's no longer just correlation, mm -hmm. right? So our mindset, our values, and our assumptions directly impact on our behavior. What do we do, what we don't do, right? What do we avoid, right? So there's a direct impact on our behavior. And our behavior, of course, impact directly on the result, the outcomes. That, that we have. So this is very much causal relationship. So um, the basic premise of this model, right? We'll look into some details um, um, so that we can have a better understanding how this actually operate in our day-to-day -day lives, in our day-to-day -day, you know, business operations, right? This is, this is why we're doing this because we're looking for how do we crack these nuts? You know, how do we improve ourselves through operationalizing cultural development, right? Because clearly, if you don't have a productive mindset, productive behavior, your business is not going to be productive. It's just as clear as that. So, uh, but before we go there, we need to recognize that the basic premise, the scientific insight here is that, you know what? As human beings, we actually design our behavior, right? That may sound, you know, a little shocking to a lot of people. What do you mean I design? I mean, I didn't choose to, to be this way, you know, I didn't choose to, to be born, <laughs> right? Uh, it is what it is. Uh, you know, I, there's nothing I can do, you know, what, what do you, I, what would you expect me to do? But if we look at it closely, 
right? If we recognize that one of our fundamental nature as a human beings is actually the freedom we have, right? We're not entirely slaves to our circumstances. We actually do to whatever degree, but that is what our humanness is. We do think, and we do have some degree of control of what we do, how we behave. So if you accept that, then we have to accept the responsibility that we actually design our behaviors based on our values, assumptions, whatever we have in our heads. We already have it. This is what people need to recognize. We already have it. We do not live in a vacuum. How we get that is a different story. But the first thing is we need to recognize we already have it. We do never live in a vacuum. So that's why the first things we need to do is to accept that we are agents of a change, an agent of our own life, right? We do design how we behave, what results we get, okay? Whether we consciously do it or we sort of let it just fly, right? So someone, whether it's my parents, you know, my grandparents or my teacher, my boss, whoever put that set of assumptions, values in me, it's operating there. I guarantee you, if you're a productive human being, whatever you're doing, it's operating damn well, <laughs> okay? So whether or not it is what you want, right? It's what is being productive, it's a different story, but it's working. So the first thing your responsibility is to actually open it up and look at saying, how is it working? Then you can ask yourself, well, where it's not working so well? You know, maybe I can tweak it a little bit, right? Maybe I can improve a little bit, if not for nobody else, for myself. Mm -hmm. So the operating but, system of your mind that's right. built out of these values. So let's say you had a value that you were taught growing up that you've accepted and not really picked up and looked at since, but it's running uh, to avoid conflict. That, that everything should be peaceful, right? Yeah. You're going to operate through your behavior, uh, through your workplace situations with that overriding factor of avoid conflict. Don't rock the boat. Yes. <laughs> right? Yes. And that's going to lead to certain results. Yes. But also rocking the boat might lead to other painful results, as I have personally experienced. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so and, and that's where... But become aware of this, mm -hmm. I would say it's the starting point, right? Mm -hmm. To actually be able to get to a better place. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because you get software. It is, uh, it's not hard coded yeah. in there. You can take a value out or a limiting belief out and roll it around and look at it and go, do I still want this or should I yeah. change it? Yeah, it's software, but it has hard consequences. Mm -hmm. right. <laughs> so yeah. 
and if you look back, you you know more and more, right? Even our entire world, right? The economy became a more more of a knowledge economy. Why? Mm -hmm. Because the software became more and more important. Mm. Why? I mean, look, look who's who's on top of the world in, uh, on planet Earth. It's not the dinosaurs, right? It's not what's the biggest, heaviest, you know, physically most powerful. It's who has the brains. Mm -hmm. So that the writing is on the wall. If we don't pay attention to the softer stuff, honestly, we have no right to exist. We'll go extinct just like dinosaurs. So that's the, I would say, yeah, it's soft, but it's the hard reality mm -hmm. that we must deal with, or we go to extinct. As simple yeah. as that. And I, I've been talking about beliefs and values like this for, for many years. And uh, mm -hmm. there's some beliefs are more senior than others. Uh, I, I do believe there's a Pareto's law sort of 80-20 rule. A small number of key limiting beliefs will produce most of the reality that you experience. And so when you say there are hard results, uh, you know, if, if I think spending $30,000 a month on, on rent for a place to live is uh, a reasonable amount of money, I'm going to have a very different experience people around me, shops I, I go to, restaurants I attend, um, you know, cars I drive, that kind of thing, even noises I hear, compared to somebody who can't spend that kind of money, who, who is thinking, oh, that's way too much money, right? They're gonna be living in a very different situation and experiencing very different results. Yeah, that's, you know, what we needed to sort of um, learn to, uh, recognize and um, and and, and this is what you know people people tell me you know I don't want to deal with this stuff I tell them saying you already have it otherwise you can't even exist you can not even function in your mm -hmm. basic living at all so to say that I don't want to deal with it is to put your head in the sand that's what you're doing Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're already you're dealing with it now. <laughs> <laughs> you're dealing with it now yeah. for yeah. for better or worse. Okay, so and because it's so difficult to deal with this, and this is another you know this is the second bullet I want to you know point out. And by the way, all this mm -hmm. came from um, um, Professor uh, Chris Adris, uh, right? Because this is so hard to deal with, and because a lot of people, even most people, choose to deny it, choose not to deal with it. What happens is, because they're already in it, they're already doing it, you see this separation of what they see they want to do, so-called exposed theory, from what they actually do somewhat unconsciously, right? Because mm -hmm. they already have this, like I said, otherwise they couldn't function. So they have something functioning, which, you know, Chris Archer called theory in use, mm -hmm. okay? But what they say or what they ask other people to do is what Chris Archer is called exposed theory, right? So what they 
talk is different from what the walk. Mm -hmm. uh, the saying is, you know, some, some, you know, I'll, you can quote, quote, bad parents, but actually most parents are like that, right? So don't do what I do, do what I mm -hmm. say. <laughs> right. we, we all heard that, right? Actually, very few parents learn how to reconcile the two. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that's reality. And, and, and so, but the objective of this new science, right, entering this new territory is to address those paradoxes. And the reason we want to address those paradoxes is because it has a profound impact mm -hmm. on the quality of life we're living here let alone, right, the operational excellence and productivity of the business. Mm -hmm. It goes way beyond that, but certainly include that. Because everything we do as human beings is dictated by this. Otherwise, we wouldn't be human beings. Right. And yeah, again, I, I keep making asides because I want to make sure that we don't get too far ahead of, of our listeners, right, who may not have yeah. studied this stuff. And so I try and provide examples from my own Absolutely. life or experiences yeah. Yeah. or something like that. Um, I try and well, I struggle with values or, or, or um, these assumptions or whatever every day. Uh, I had a talk this morning with a venture capitalist. I went upstairs. Wow. Uh, to have lunch and, um, and met with a friend. And I had to deal with uh, a, an assumption about myself or a, or a mental picture I had of myself. Um, yeah. it, it, you know, I said, oh, I would never want to run uh, an investment like that. And my friend said, oh, you don't like Y result <laughs> that would come out of doing that? Right, which would actually be good for me. And I had to really think like, uh-oh, so why did I say that? Why did I say I don't like this particular kind of investment? And, <laughs> and, <laughs> what, and then the mental picture of my, who am I? What if I was to run something like that? Which yeah. would be a slightly different version of Jason than the one that's sitting here right now. And, yeah. so, and this just happened in the last hour. <laughs> right? And stuff yeah. like that is, is going on every day. And yeah, later on when we look into this, especially in step three, right? Mm -hmm. We put all this in a very human context, right? Mm -hmm. How do we evolve? How do we actually grow up? How do we evolve our mental models, right? From, remember the first slide I, I said in the, in the second session, right? How do we go from an innocent to an expert? Mm -hmm. We eventually evolve our mental models. The only difference I would argue between an expert and innocent is an expert has a more mature mm -hmm. and capable, competent mental model. That's why they can deal with the world much more effectively than a novice can. Okay, but together we have to accept this is the operating system already in place, already kicking 25 hours a day, seven days a week. Right. Even in our sleep, they still working. <laughs>
<laughs> and and uh, I have a note here from when I read through the slides. Uh, in the world of sales, which I've been in for a very long time, this thing about, uh, I had to laugh when I read this, what we espouse is often different from what we do, because this is the case in sales. That sure. prospective client or customer frequently says something different from the way they actually behave. And then uh, and part of selling is to like unravel that if you're a good yeah. salesperson. But, but it's very critical to not to make this into a somehow a moral issue, mm -hmm. an ethical issue. Yeah. I don't believe the vast majority of people lie on purpose. Mm -hmm. Although they certainly have one theory in practice, one theory, you know, when they talk. <laughs> yeah. But they didn't do this on purpose. Mm -hmm. They just do this out of a habit, right? It's like if you were born, you know, as a baby into a family, what option do you have, right? Mm -hmm. You need to drink your mother's milk, otherwise you die. Right. So this culture just came in you by default. Right. Only later, when you grow up, that's why you know we have this, you know, rebelling age and all those things, right? Which is all natural. They should. If they never rebel, they will never be better. <laughs> okay. Right. Once again, I'm not saying all rebelling are good, right? So this is way beyond good or bad. Right. This is how we grow up, how we evolve mm. as a species. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And how well are these beliefs serving you? Uh, so we yeah. see here structure, mindset, behavior, results. And then we have content that fits in there. And those are two different yeah. things. Yes. Yes. So we, we're just talking about structure here. Right. So, mm -hmm. and, you know, I, I don't want to get into too heavy into contents because, mm -hmm. you know, we need a, you know, two weeks. Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> workshop to do that I, actually even that it gets yeah, just, just beginning right mm -hmm. and uh, that's another thing right a lot of people look at this oh that's just too much work for me hmm. really I, t I tell people is this too much life for you mm -hmm. <laughs> that's a real question you need to ask right yeah. so because you know like or not you're already alive you're living your life and this is how you live your life this is what will help you to understand how you're living your lives, what opportunity you have, you can actually improve it, right? Like I said, if not for anybody else, for yourself. And without getting a grip on this, you're just moving the cheese. All right. So I'm going to so that's kind of a what, a mini yeah. what, right? So what I want to spend a little time on is give people a sense of how this actually operates, right? So we give the example of the of the foreman, right? How they, and that's still at a very high level. So I want to take it down a little bit, right? Give people a real flavor. And this is a wonderful tool invented by Professor Chris Argeris. It's called ladder of inference, right? You can Google this. There's, you know, gazillions of uh, <laughs> application to this. But let's just use a very, very rudimentary, simple, right? So let's say Jason and I, our colleagues, right? We both plant managers working for, you know, some corporation, right? We have staff meetings, regular, you know, interactions, all those things, right? And our office is 
pretty close to each other. So one day I was just, you know, walking from my office to the coffee machine, you know, get a cup of coffee. And, and Jason just came, you know, from a coffee machine back to his office and sort of we walked by each other without say hello. I mean, and so that's the data I immediately captured, right? That's just, this is the bottom of the ladder, right? You know, my mind is like a camera, right? So I noted it, that's a data point. Jason did not say good, uh, hi to me when passed by me. So I selected that data, remember? Mm -hmm. You know, Jason may be wearing a blue suit. He may be, you know, showing some other signs. Never mind, I didn't notice the other data. I just zoom into this piece of data that Jason did not say hi to me, right? But the question is why? Ah, I naturally come out with some theory, right? We just had our staff meeting yesterday and I made some proposals that sort of seems to ruffle the feathers with Jason. That's why Jason didn't say hello <laughs> to me this morning. He's pissed off. He's pissed at me, right? So that's my conclusion. Jason is pissed at me just based on that piece of data mm -hmm. that I observed. And I actually don't just stop here. I start relating mm -hmm. to other times that people get pissed by me and start sort of, you know, throwing cold shower, whatever, at my way. And I start become very cynical about this entire organization, right? It's full of just shallow people like Jason, right? Who couldn't take slight criticism. And this whole place just stinks. And the culture here is just bad. Right? Mm -hmm. And that profoundly influenced my belief about not just about Jason, but about this organization. Mm -hmm. And why this organization, after I changed a few companies, it's the same way. I have a profound belief about this word. And that's how I became a cynic. And if you think this would not affect my day-to-day -day behavior, you'll be dreaming. Mm -hmm. So the fact is, once I developed those kind of beliefs, it became part of my operating system. It profoundly affect how I deal with day-to-day -day issues, people, my family, my friends, my coworkers, my children, everybody. That's how we function as human beings. So that sort of side loop, right, is what sh shows you how we behave in a day-to-day -day environment, right? So that's just 
a very trivial example. We do this gazillion of times every day. Okay, so I have a sort of mat, you know, animated mode to to just bring this to home for people, right? So there's a two mode of living we have, right? A lot of people just have one mode, which is quite dangerous to themselves and to others. Um, I call the doing mode, right? They're just living their lives, right? Unconscious, do what they feel right at the moment. And some people even proud of this, right? I am who I am, right? I have no double life here. So <laughs> what do you say is what you got? So a lot of people very proud of this um, will we'll, we'll ask questions whether or not they should, <laughs> okay? So, but anyway, we already explained the mental model, right? How this profoundly affect our action, which leads to the results we get. And we do this all the time and no matter what action, what result we get, it only serves to reinforce the mental model we already have because we only select the data that fit that mental model. Okay? I'm never going to pay attention to what other characteristics Jason demonstrated. I'm just going to zoom into that because I already think Jason's piece at me. Next time I meet with Jason, this is where I go. And this is how this mental model works within us. Okay. And it's not without virtues, by the way. You know, I think early on in our conversation, we talked about most part of our life are very robotic. Mm -hmm. This is how it becomes robotic. And we have to, because huh. otherwise, we're just not efficient enough to even to survive the basic requirements of life, right? So we have to be develop some pretty efficient mental model that execute in milliseconds, right? Without thinking about it, you know, I'm thirsty, I'm getting a drink, okay? I'm hungry, I'm getting food. That needs to be programmed very fast. But as anything good, right? It has an inertia and it has a tendency to go overboard. Mm. And that's the dangerous part. And that dangerous part can only be mitigated if we become aware of the second mode of life, I call it. Mm. So the second mode is what I called learning mode, right? What that means is we have to actually slow down. We have to become conscious what's going on. Not just reflex, reflex, right? We need to do that for some routine things that we, you know, in order to be efficient, to, you know, stay alive. But there are other things that's just too important that, that we actually are not doing well, but in order to become aware of that, we have to slow down. This is where we need to enter a learning mode. And I will say, if you don't have the both mode in your life, I, I doubt that you're living a optimal life. 
And you know, I don't mean that as as an insult, right? And certainly, a lot of people are not even aware of this learning mode. They may occasionally do it, right? When things really went bad and, and they are forced to slow down to see a counselor, see a psychologist, you know, to sort of confess with a friend, right? They, they do do that, but they're not doing it in a proactive conscious mode. They often is forced to do that. And I would say, to put it mildly, that's not optimal way of living your life. Okay, so what do we do in those learning mode, right? Given it's conscious, slow, it takes months to years versus milliseconds, okay? And, and this is where Professor Argyris, you know, was famous for. He invented a theory called the double loop learning. So most of the time, even for people who enter this learning mode, they're only looking at their actions. Oh yeah, I did that, but I didn't mean it, right? I'm sorry, I offended you, but I didn't mean it. So that's learning, single loop learning, right? Looking at what actions has caused what consequences. Or if you're a manager, you may need to coach your employees, right? Look, John, you, just went ahead and put that thing and that cost this much mass. Don't do that next time, right? That's called single loop learning. Look at the actions and the result and point out to people or remind yourself, right? So that you can modify your behavior and to be more productive, more kindly, right? More loving, whatever. That's called single loop learning. More rare, but actually more fundamental, especially we talk about cultural development, we need to do double loop learning. We need not only look at our behavior actions, when you look at our mental models that put that in action, right, into motion. I guarantee you, a lot of actions are not random. It's not just came from nowhere. Right. It's actually driven by the mental model behind it. It's, that's why I say, for the most part, we actually design our behavior because we have a perception, we have assumption about how things operate. And we, want, we, all, we all want our optimal results, right? That's how we design our action to achieve optimal results. Yeah, and those those results might be sitting around eating nachos. <laughs> right? It could be it could be being at the top of your profession. <laughs> right? It's, it's yeah. your choice. You get to pick. Yeah. yeah. So there's, you know, once again, you know, we're not getting into the content so much yeah. today, right? Because yeah. that could, you know, like take 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 weeks to do and we don't have the time to do that but i just wanted to you know if, if people come away from this conversation with one thing one mm -hmm. thing only i want people to know that you've already got this thing in you 
there is no use to deny it, right? Your only choice is, do you want, are you interested to improve it? Or you just left it go, right? Happy go lucky, that's your choice. And certainly, you know, I'm not here to say that you must do this or do that, right? I'm just here to say, you have some choices, you have some options here. All right, so from that, um, you know, we're not going, once again, not going into the contents of this, and, uh, but there's a whole science called action science, right? They have studies, human behavior, and correlate that with business, now organizational, personal results, and then associate that with certain mental models, right? Uh, our basic assumptions, our basic values, and and finally, you now they fit into different systems, right? You know, you, we 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 talked about systems thinking, right? There's many versions of system thinking. And this is what I understand as system thinking. Basically, it's, it's not random. It's not like you can just pick one value and random pick another action. They actually correlate with each other. So the social scientist has modeled this and tested this in organizations, in business, in societies, in government, right? So they've done extensive research. And two of the models, originally Professor Audrey called it model one, model two. <laughs> then later on, people gave it a, a little bit more descriptive name, right? So model one, which is predominant. And I can tell you, no matter where you go, which organization you work on, right? No matter what they say on their website, this is the dominant operating system inside that organization, okay? So what this fundamental belief is that I need to take control. So I need to, you know, the most obvious thing is that before people go into the meeting, they spend a lot of time designing agendas, right? And, you know, you can see there's some values there, there's, you know, if you don't have a channel, you won't have, a, you won't have a productive meeting. But what happens is most of the time, people try to anchor and position this in a way so that the meeting will more likely go in the direction they want. And I, you know, I've done this, okay? I, I'm sure you have done this. And this is a very common phenomenon. So what mindset driving this is basically, I need to be in control of the situation. Otherwise, it would just be chaos, right? So if I don't have agenda, if I don't have, um, you know, idea where I want things to go, things will just fall apart. And th that does happen. So this whole value system is geared towards taking control. It's called, that's why it's called unilateral control. You know, I know better than the rest of them, right? So I need to be in charge. Um, that's why I call it, you know, this is a defensive system. 
because it was driven by fear of chaos, um, and, and which is legitimate because we do see chaos. However, just like everything else, it has a legitimacy, it has a merit, but it also has side effect. And the only question is, what's the balance, right? So in real life, it's a model balance. Does this bring more value or the side effect actually is worse than the value it brings? So that's where it became a matter of assessing your environment, right? Which actually goes beyond Professor Ajari's work. So in step three, we're gonna to go to another set of work that take into account your environment. Mm. And this is the limitation I see in Professor Ajari's work is that it modeled the system very well, but it did not take it into account enough of the environments operating in. So, 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 so then you basically don't know at what point you should be switching, right? So like I said, everything we know, right? Everything in our head is there for a reason. It's not because some evildoer invented this to trick us. It's because it has delivered values for human beings in the past and probably continue to deliver values today. But it certainly has side effect. And if we wanted to further op optimize, right, achieve operational excellence, we have to be able to see what's the value, what's the side effect, in what context. And then we can design some strategies about shifting them, which is what change management is about. Hmm. Okay, so for now, let's just look at these two models, Professor Audrey called model one, model two. Just appreciate the difference here. But I would argue just to have those two models is not sufficient to operationalize them. And that's what a lot of people made mistakes, including a lot of people in this great enlightenment movement called organizational learning, which Professor Adris is one of the leaders. And I was with that for many, many years. And, and I'm deeply, deeply grateful for those people, those giants, I call them, right? We're just standing on their shoulders. But I recognize that the movement itself is not sufficient to operationalize this. And many people get fired hmm. when they try this because they don't have a sufficient understanding of the environment. And that's step three, okay? Hopefully we can get into step three today, <laughs> right? So we can cover both step two and step three um, so that we don't leave too much of vacuum here. So, um, so one of the mistakes I made, and I think a lot of people made is once we saw this, Right, we get very excited. 
we want switch <laughs> tomorrow. <laughs> you know, instead of have a universal control, let's go to the next system called mutual learning. I call it an open system for collective excellence. So this system have a fundamental different value set. It basically embraces diversity. It recognized, you know what? Jason some, have some strengths, weakness. I have some strengths and weaknesses. There's no point killing each other because accusing each other of weaknesses. Let's recognize that. Let's combine our strengths. Let's complement each other versus just compete, beating each other to death. So that is a whole different value proposition. And I don't think logically, right? When you present this to people, I don't think there are many people wouldn't prefer this second model called model two. But the question is, how do you do that? So most people, the tendency is, well, let me show this to my boss, right? Let's change our department, let's change our division, let's change our company culture. Yeah, switch that. Then everyone will be happy, right? So they are basically, I made this mistake early on, like, you know, I mentioned to you, early on I would hand out books to, mm. you know, my, my VPs, <laughs> you know, I tried to say, hey, look, this is a wonderful opportunity. Why don't we do this? That I'll bet they would say things like, oh, yeah, and you don't understand the stress that I'm under here and the pressure that I'm under. <laughs> they, actually don't, they actually don't even yeah. tell me that. Yeah. <laughs> they just ignore it, right? They, they, just, yeah. they just, you know, sort of, a, because, you know, this is another thing. They have to be politically correct too, mm -hmm. right? So they don't want it to be accused that somehow they were suppressing, you know, good ideas, right? Mm. Who, who can say that those are not good ideas? So um, this is why I say, you know, the, the work of Professor Argyris, as great, you know, if I have to, if I'm in charge of the Nobel Prize Committee, I will award him Nobel Prize, no question. I think it's worth 10 Nobel Prizes, what he did. <clears throat> because it's so relevant to how we live as a human being. So, but despite that, what he did not do, right? I'm not saying he should do this. Right? I mean, everybody can only do so much, right? He's already done the work that I think is worth 10 Nobel Prizes. So, <laughs> so who am I to, here to criticize him, right? So I'm just saying, you know, if you are asking, you know, how to operationalize cultural development, this is not enough. It it's a light, right? It's what I call the enlightenment. Mm -hmm. It mm -hmm. you see a light at the end of a tunnel, but how do you walk toward that light is a whole different chapter. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, I mentioned this in my notes here. Remember, we're talking about bravely entering new territory. Yeah. Well, great. It's one thing to pick up a book 
or watch a video of a concept on YouTube or something like this, right? Where I'll call that passive, right? That the idea is not pushing back at you. It's just put in front of you. It's maybe reacting with some beliefs that you have, but that's going on within you, right? Um, and uh, you can accept or reject that idea and move on. But the moment that we've got another person involved, <laughs> now we've got somebody who can push back. A live human will probably continue to argue, I've written here, right? If there's somebody who's got an opposing point of view or a defensive uh, idea about, you know, why should we change? Uh, let's leave it alone. We see this in Facebook uh, arguments, political arguments. When was the last time you saw somebody actually change another person's mind, right? It never happens. So how do we use this and how do we avoid uh, mutual shutdown in, in our dialogue, right? I think is, is the key yeah. opening here. And yeah, you know, I always say, everything we talked about here, right? It is applicable equally hmm. to yourself and to others. So this is what science is. Science doesn't care <laughs> whether you are Earth or Sun or Mars, the law of physics operate. And this is what the science is. It doesn't care whether you work in a manufacturing plant, you know, you know, you know software company, in your family, in a nonprofit organization, in government, it operates the same way. So before my advice is that before you start trying to apply to others, there's some serious work you need to do with yourself. Just ask yourself, you know, how many different mental models you actually have used, right? Function with. And if your conclusion is just one, I'll just say you haven't even started to develop yourself. Mm. You need at least to know two or three before you can actually start asking other people about it. Because once again, you know, none of us is just born genius. We need it, we need a practice. We need, you know, we're all born, you know, wearing diapers, I call it, right? We need to grow. How do we grow culturally? We need to upgrade our operating systems. That's how we grow. And our operating system culturally is the mental model. So if you haven't recognized yourself, you've done two or three upgrade, I would say you're not in a position to manage others, coach others, you know, be a consultant, go around, <laughs> right? So I think that's the homework people need to do. They, they need to recognize those operating models. Remember, this is has nothing to do with gender, has nothing to do with race, has nothing to do with your nationality, you know, type of things you do. This is science. You know, yeah. You're a human being. Yeah. What I'm thinking about right now is the Soviets, uh, Soviet ideology. They yeah. had some to begin with from, from Marx and Engels and, and Lenin. And then they had to figure out, okay, well, we're supposed to be the opposite of the communists. Okay, so what, do, or of the capitalists, excuse me. So what yeah. does that make you think of? The, this model too, 
perhaps with its assumptions in that is the opposite of model one, right? Mm -hmm. What they're so they argued with each other about is is jazz capitalist? What about poetry, <laughs> right? Uh, and if those of you have watched my um, my episode on Albert Kahn, uh, know that the Soviets adopted many operations improvement techniques as intellectually neutral. Yeah. They, they classified it that. So this this sort of thing, once again, like you said, uh, it doesn't matter whether you're you're uh, <laughs> operating on the sun or <laughs> in your kitchen, right? Uh, this stuff is is applicable everywhere. Yeah. And you made a remarkable observation there. So this is why I love you, Jason. <laughs> so, so yes, there's a little bit of a reactionary tendency, mm. right? In the whole organizational learning movement. And, you know, once again, they saw this unilateral control thing, right? That's just dominating mm. and choking off all kind of gross opportunities and they reacted to it and flipped to the other side. And this came out of this. I think it's not wrong, right? Po at least point the direction mm. where it should go, right? Should open up. But I would say rarely in reality, you go from this to the polar opposite. I would say that's a mm. revolutionary reaction, which is rarely entirely true and beautiful. Hmm. But as a initial reaction, I think it's natural. It's just, it's not, it cannot be sustained. It cannot hmm. be operationalized that way. That's why I say, you know, I think this, you know, at the end of the day, the organizational learning movement sort of came to, 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 to an end by the 2010-ish time frame, hmm. um, because of this, be because they, they became overly, I call it romantic about it, right? They wanted to flip hmm. com completely, which is, um, uh, I think it's it, it, it's not that people don't want it. It's just not humanly possible because evolution is way more complex mm. and delicate than that. Uh, and that's a natural introduction to step three. <laughs> okay. So let's, <laughs> okay. let's just, let's just go into it. Um, okay. So I, you know, like I said, before we start today, I wasn't sure how far we would go today. Right. So, yeah. um, but I'm, I'm glad we, 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 we got here. Okay. And we do need that command and control stuff occasionally. It's just Absolutely. like you said about, uh, I don't need to be making a huge galactic scale decision about what to have for lunch every time that I get hungry, right? It should yeah. default. Some um, jet fighter or bomber fighter pilot or, or bomber pilot should not be thinking their way through their procedural stuff uh, in the middle of, of combat, right? If they do that, they're going to get blown up <laughs> they, need, they need to have read through their processes and memorized things and trained and drilled so that stuff uh, happens quickly so yeah or, I can see why we'd still want to keep that stuff are you your previous life as a plant manager right <clears throat> mm -hmm. if you don't have a control in place yeah. how are you going to promise right. your customer to deliver something right right yeah uh, you're going to say point of of uh, mrp2 was supposed to be that the 
blizzard of work orders and please follow <laughs> the work orders. Don't think. Don't yeah. don't try and make stuff up on your own because you're going to screw it up. Yeah. No, you, you can't make up <laughs> stuff on the fly. That's the point. Right. right? right. So Zoom is saying, we talking yeah. about doing mode and learning mode. Don't mm -hmm. mix them up. Mm. Sure, we need yeah. you know create space, time, you know, for our people to be in the learning mode. But don't kid ourselves. Hmm. We need to maintain the excellence in the doing mode. And we need to do things by, by the book. Mm -hmm. There's no question. So once again, that's just additional complexity of reality, right? So we we can't just make them sort of uniform. And that's where the bureaucracy, those things set in and just kills kill things. So I would say that's the blind spot of the organizational learning movement. Mm. Uh, it's just like any great movement, you know, like a renaissance, right? It, it brought great things, but it also had side effects and, and you know, it runs course in time. So I think it runs course. And so it, it, it's not a, a surprise. Um, so, so on to next phase, step three. So in step three, um, you know, I use this work uh, written by uh, another Harvard professor, uh, Bob Keegan. So uh, Professor Keegan is a developmental psychologist, right? So he studies mental models although he probably didn't talk, call it mental models, <laughs> he called it something else, um, you know, human development stages, right? Um, from, uh, from a human development perspective. So, um, you know, there's a lot of development psychologists and, you know, study this. I think, you know, Bob Keegan's work is certainly recognized as one of the best. Uh, if not the best. So what is particularly commendable, I, I respect him a lot, is that he also tried to build a bridge between those theories he developed and the real world applications. So just like Professor Chris Adres, he consulted with corporations and organizations. And, and that's how he can test his theory, right? So like all science is theory. So what makes one theory better than other? We test it. So without testing, you can't just go by personality or by person's you know, title, say, well, because he said it, no, it doesn't matter, right? The real, uh, the real weight is how this stand up. Uh, in real world. So, um, so I'm not going into the detail of his theory, but anyone interested in, you know, look him up, you know, he, he wrote many, many excellent books. But I, I select this book called the Immunity to Change because, um, because it has um, relevance to what we talk about here, um, operationalized cultural development. So in his theory, he identifies many stages of human development. And I, you know, those three stages, uh, I think is particularly relevant 
uh, in, in, in organizations and businesses. So the first stage he called the socialized mind. It basically, if you're gonna be employed by any employer, I'll see this as a entry requirement, right? So you need to pretty much know how to follow others, right? Uh, we just talk about, right, when we're in the doing mode. Yeah, you're gonna go to do things by the book because if everybody become a creative when in the doing mode, it's chaos, right? So we can't run a business in chaos. So I'll say this is sort of an entry requirement. And, and at this stage of human development, um, you know, we're shaped by what others have already set up for us in the environment, right? If you were brought up in a family, you're gonna follow what your parents uh, already set up, right? Sure, you can push back, you know, here and there, you know, have your moments. But by and large, if you want to live that household, your parents cannot tolerate constant chaos. So you need to somehow socialize your behavior and your mindset with them. Otherwise, you're not going to survive that environment. And I would say, you know, that's true to every human being, right? Whichever environment you are born into, you need to socialize yourself with it. Or you live by yourself in some remote region. You know, some people do, but that's the exception rather than the rule. So when you do that, you have to show certain loyalty, right? You have to show that you are part of the gun, right? So yeah, you know, all the gangsters have this. Uh, you know, the you know, in organizations, we have group think, right? This is where it came from. So once again, this is not about good or bad. It just it's been one of the stages in our development that we have had to go through in order to survive, in order to be a human being. So there's nothing to be ashamed of. And by the way, this is still with us, okay? <laughs> so uh, we are still using this when we gather, you know, at Thanksgiving with our larger families, right? <laughs> with our neighbors have block parties. Yeah, you'd better keep in that socialized mind very active. Otherwise you became a disruptor right. to social peace. So, um, so once again, this is not about good or bad. This is about what is real, right? So, um, and, and you can see Professor Keegan's work start bringing the environment into play, right? In addition to what Chris Audrey's talk about this mental models, right? Which is a key, but now you need to bring the context. And then the, I will argue the combination of the two is what you need to deliver the real um, benefit of operationalized cultural development. So, so that's one stage of human development he, de de uh, he identified. Um, you know, 
obviously there's some correlations with your age, right? So if you're two years old, I don't think you have fully developed individualized mind, right? <laughs> so so you, you are very, very much in that socialized mind uh, state. Um, uh, but it's not a strict correlation. You know, you can't say because this person is such such age, he must be this, right? So uh, there's loose, there's some correlation, but but it's not a strict uh, causal relationship. Then, if you develop well, right, you fit in, you get accepted um, by uh, a society, you know, an organization, a team. Then so or later, if you grow, right, if you stop the growing, you just stop there, it's one phenomenon which could happen, and, and it does happen. But if you go beyond that, you start wondering, say, you know, why does things have to be done that way? Why can't I make change here, right? So um, the example Chris Adrius gave, right? Those people clearly have thought there's a better way of doing things. That means they have developed, you know, what uh, Professor Keegan called self-authoring mind, right? They start having independent thought, not just blindly follow others, right? So um, they have some judgment, individual judgment they can make. Um, and that's when I think people become, if you're a consultant, I think it, you, you must have this, otherwise you can't consult, period. Uh, because if you go there, just do, every, <laughs> do what everybody else does, the same thing, why do they need you, right? So I'll say, this self-authoring mindset is 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 a minimum for uh, for consultant and also for a lot of um, managers nowadays because you know as we say right the only things not changing nowadays is change the business just going through tremendous change everywhere they have to. You know, any business don't change for a couple of years, not to mention three, five, it's likely to go out of business. It's, it's just as, 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 you know, real as that. So, so if you are a manager, right, you don't even ha have to be a high level of manager. If you're a manager, you, one of your central job is to manage change because the marketplace change all the time. Your customer change all the time. Your sister division change all the time. So you have to cope with this. And if you don't have people who can think beyond socialized mind and actually tweak things, right? You're dead in the water. So I say at the workplace today, right? you have to have Somewhat, at least sometime, this self-authoring mind, because you have to reinvent things uh, to a certain degree all the time. Um, so obviously, it's more extreme if you're an entrepreneur, right? start your own business and those things, you are pushing things to the extreme. But you don't have to go that extreme, even you are just a regular manager uh, inside you know, companies. 
you do have to reimagine. Because if I look at back, right, I've, I've worked in big corporation. I've looked back how we were operating five, 10 years ago. It's just completely different. So we need to make change all the time. And, and we rely on self-authoring mindset to make those, because those changes just don't just fall from sky, right? So the CEO is not gonna tell you what to do in your part of the <laughs> business. That's the reason he has you. So you've got to be able to come up with those um, ideas and implement them constantly in order to keep your business afloat. So that's another stage of, um, of hu uh, human development. But then, as I think this is sort of the cutting edge for most businesses, is that you've got some capable people, right? In individual department, you know, different functions, different divisions, and they're all reinventing themselves individually. But how do you make sure they actually harmonize to a greater whole, right? Oftentimes, this become a sort of a territorial fight, right? And I, I, I see that not entirely negatively, right? Once again, they start doing this for most part out of good intention of improve themselves, mm -hmm. right? Uh, whether forced by the environment or out of their own, you know, malicious, they're trying to improve. They're trying to make things better. But where they will always run into difficulty is that someone else at their level, right? Maybe it's another VP, another director, another department head, have their own ideas. And in order to make the whole thing work, they have to harmonize, they have to align with each other. And that's a difficult. Right. Yeah, I was picturing an automobile trying to optimize its yeah. uh, various parts. The muffler is trying to make yeah. itself better. The, the air filter is trying to make itself yeah. better. The engine, but they're not. Um, they're not harmonized. They're not. They don't have uh, an organizing principle. Like yeah. Talked about. And and you can see this clearly in Chris Adrian's model, right? Mm -hmm. If you have a model one, unilateral control. Yeah, you can make your own department division. Mm -hmm operate like a machine, right? Perfectly well. But it's difficult to tune that machine with another machine. So what's the organizing principle mm -hmm. if you optimize your own machine and what governs between machines? And that goes beyond this self-authoring mind. And that's where the next stage of human development became evolutionarily ready. Basically, nature is demanding that to emerge. You see, this is not just that someone has a fancy wanted this thing, you know, to happen. We're actually forced to do it out of as a course of evolution. So um, if you work in a company, this is very real. It's just play out every day. Um, so this is why, you know, Bob Keegan's work has a better context, right? Lay this out in a better context than Professor Argerius because Argerius just say, okay, we should go to unilateral control to mutual learning. But why? Why do we want to do that? Other than, you know, sounds good, <laughs> right? 
So in this context, you, you can see why. Because unless you develop that kind of a mindset, it became difficult to harmonize your companies. And, and more and more, our businesses became, this is why we call knowledge economy, right? It more and more became dominated by those specialized experts. You know, I'm a chemist, you're a biologist, you are an engineer, right? In order to make something happen, a truly great product, we need to combine our knowledges. But we're all experts. What do you mean? I'm the best chemist in the world. And he's the best biologist. And he's the best engineer. How do we actually work together? So that goes beyond this self-altering mind. And this is what a phenomenon that Bob Keegan start, you know, observing, right, modeling. Remember, this he didn't invent this just mm. out of his own head, right? He needed to observe this phenomenon and try to say, okay, what kind of model would explain this? That's where he came up with this next stage called self-transforming mind. Essentially, what it says is that we need to learn how to collaborate with each other, right? We need to learn, say, you know, Jason knows something I don't, and I know something Jason doesn't. And we'd be better off. We both would be better off if we work together. In order to work together, though, we need to transform our mindset, right? Not just thinking, I am the best. I need to control Jason, mm. right? Jason need to do my beating, okay? So if I always do that, I mean, Jason is not a fool. He's going to say that and he's going to do the same to me. And that's where it will reach the limit of this self-authoring mind. That is not to say Jason's not bright. Oh, I am not bright. We are both very bright people. It's just our mindset in this self-authoring mindset is insufficient to elevate ourselves to the next stage of human development. So this is not a moral preaching, I call it, right? This is real scientific progress. This is real evolutionary progress. So what that requires the next stage is that you know, we're able to step back, right, from our own position and look at ourselves quite objectively, right? Look at ourselves saying, you know, this is Ian, this is Jason. Okay, as a human being, how are we operating? What are we good at? What are our limitations? What is the opportunity for improvement? So start entertaining, right? Some possibilities that we didn't think possible before, like those formants, you know, team leads that Chris Adres asked, right? To them, it was out of a question. How could we entertain that, <laughs> right? And that's culture. 
So however, if we're going to move beyond that, right? If we become a better performing organization, better culture, if we can operationalize those operational improvement, continuous improvement, right? All those good words. We've got to upgrading our operating system in our minds so that we can operate that way. We don't just hire Jason or hire Chris Adres one time, one off, done, banquet, over. We actually operate this day in and day, day out. And imagine who can compete with you. <laughs> you know, it, even from you know that perspective, I mean, the potential is huge. And I can tell you, this is the cutting edge of business operations, science. Basically, this is the cutting edge of the modern world, the entire modern world. I, I don't care where you go, okay? You go to the best companies. This is what they are working on. How do I help my smarter people work together? Not in a touchy-feely way, but in a concrete, scientific, measurable, operational way. Whether you go to Google, anywhere, the, the best companies, this is what they're working on. Otherwise, they wouldn't be best. They wouldn't stay best. And, and yet we don't hear about it much, at least in regular companies, they're certainly not talking about things like this, um, which is well, why I'm so glad to have you here to, <laughs> to share this stuff with us. Well, that's what, remember, you know, that's why I showed that picture of yeah. Yellowstone mammoth right. spring, right? Well, it's a lot you of work and you have to be willing to confront things. Um, this you and then stick to it, stick to it, you know, it's like. You don't see the source of life, right? Mm -hmm. That's tiny. All you saw is this huge mass. Mm. But guess what? Grand Canyon was carved mm -hmm. by water drop by drop. So you think that trivial? Mm. In time, it will shape history. Mm. It will make history. And this is what's making history today. I like this line about multi-frame and holds contradictions. That's. Um, those are good signals. Are, are you able to do it? Are you able to look at things through different frames? Uh, and then the contradiction thing, it sounds weird <laughs> if you haven't explored it much, but uh, being able to hold two contradictory ideas. And it, it's sometimes you see this in uh, that optimization problem of, of uh, optimizing a business. Some departments or a department may be the right move maybe to run it poorly so that the, the money-making department <laughs> or the culture-developing department, <laughs> whatever it is, right, runs really well, if that's the outcome that we're looking for. Yeah. So don't, think, don't think that uh, optimization means that everything is going to run extremely perfectly, right? It's probably not. There's probably going to be some mushy areas. Well, the, the point is, mm. the cultural mindset is we should look at it, right? Mm -hmm. So... Yeah. It's not that we are looking for contradiction. It's just 
when we're looking to improve, we will observe contradictions. Otherwise, where do we get clues to improve? Hmm. So we must not be afraid of con contradiction. That's what it's saying. It is not that contradiction is our purpose. It's hmm. not. Right. But we've <laughs> got to move through that, right? Remember, you know, Patrick Ocean Honest, you know, pyramid, right? So you've got to be able to deal with conflict. Otherwise you cannot you know, get to what is the key, right? So, um, and that's what he's saying. We need to be able to deal with conflict and move through and, and, and you know, improve this. Okay, so next slides. Um, you know, this is just getting more real. Once again, you know, I'm, I'm not here to expound the contents, right? You should go and read yourself and, and, and there's a very rich uh, scientific literature uh, on this. So I'm just here trying to give you some idea what this is about, right? So what most people uh, do, right? When they are confronted with those um, scenarios or, or complications. Uh, and they honestly, a lot of them just feel overwhelmed and then they go into self-denial. And, 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 you know, this is what this cartoon character is doing, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, what I was going on in my own mind is not done for your, my own business, right? Because people think that they can just put this out of their mind and they're out of their sight they're just fooling themselves, you know? So this is what I'm saying. This thing is already in here, right? So uh, the mental models is already in you, right? You're already living in a cultural environment from the time you were born. So you have no choice. Your real choice is, do you want to get better at it? Do you want to gain mastery over it versus just be a victim, mm -hmm. right? So, and unfortunately, I have to be honest, most people choose to be victimized. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, you, I think I mentioned this word from positive psychology called learned mm -hmm. helplessness. And that's generally how a lot of people fail is that, you know, what can I do? There's no hope. So if there's any one thing that I wish your listeners will, you know, come away with this is I want to see there's a hope. Okay, so it doesn't mean that it's easy, but then why should we expect life to be easy? <laughs> you know, life is rich, but not easy. So, so the thing I want to highlight here, you know, most of those uh, sidebars are just coming straight from the book that I quoted here, uh, Immunity to Change, right? Um, you know, the, the reason that the organizational learning movement 
sort of fizzled out, right? I think is it didn't recognize enough how powerful, how necessary in real life, right? This unilateral control system is. And like I said, this still runs, I would say 95% of our life in every aspect. So we cannot just unplug it and hope and plug something else in. It's just not that trivial. So, you know, for those people, you know, who get inspired by this, right, want to do something, um, I would say, you know, uh, you should invest some time to develop competency for doing this. Um, and, and this take, if you are a fast learner, it takes months. Yeah. If a slow learner like me, it takes me years. Yep. And, I've been working and, on and, it for years. Yeah. So, <laughs> and, and I'm behind you, like quite yeah. ways behind <laughs> yeah. So, So I would say, you know, um, <laughs> you need to make some serious investment develop the competencies, even to, to just develop yourself, let alone to develop others. And the last thing you should do is go around telling other people that they should do it. Mm. Because that's what I've seen a lot of consultants going around doing. And, and, and I think that's, that's hypocrisy. And, uh, and that's not doing us any good and actually that's contributing to the polarization of our society in a very serious way so i would say you know um before you tell other people they should do this and should do that do it yourself and um uh, this is what i'm saying you know you have if you not have gone through a few witch hunts you haven't you, you haven't started this journey i can tell you <laughs> so you've, you've always been rock star. You have no business going around telling other people how to do this because, you know, you, you've just been lucky to be honest with you. People on the fast track, they've just been lucky. And I, I don't think uh, they have, you know, gained real insight, real experience um, that for other people to, to emulate. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, and they've certainly been down in that conformist part of the graph we were just looking at the first yeah. stage of three there. Yeah. Because uh, otherwise and the immune system of the organization probably would have booted you out. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, I, I would say, you know, fascinating process. our immune system, I mean, yeah. I mean, look at today, right? If I want a kidney transplant, you know, liver transplant, the reason it, it we couldn't do it for a very long time until you know last few decades because we haven't learned how to deal with our own immune system, right? Mm -hmm. Our immune system just rejected. Mm -hmm. So it takes decades, if not centuries of scientific development to learn how to deal with our immune system. Now that's our biological immune system, right? Our cultural immune system is actually more complex mm -hmm. than that. So imagine how long would that would take. So 
I would say anyone come around and tell you saying, yeah, it's just simple. Unplug this, plug this, this. It's they're just, you know, salespeople. Actually, I had some salespeople come to me selling me, you know, they have this great change management methodology. You know, you just needed to unplug this and plug this and everything was done. You know, I I just packed them away right right away. <laughs> In a <laughs> so world because, without resistance, sure. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> they they, they don't even against. understand. They don't yeah. even understand what are they talking about. Yeah. You're up against all that. Cultural resistance there, the limiting beliefs, the, yeah. the attitudes, I, and I, experience people, that people have yeah, had, people, which reinforces, look, no, yeah. we keep doing it this way because it's worked so far. Absolutely. Yeah. People have good reason to do that. So, so what you need to do, I mean, this is what I do nowadays, is I will listen and I will share my own experiences until mm. people feel like, you know, you understand, right? You came from the same point of view as they do. And that's what this first bullet at the bottom is about, is that you need to thoroughly immerse yourself and understand, emphasize the current immune system before you can do any work with it. It doesn't mean that you think this is end of all of, of all those things, right? But you certainly mm -hmm. need to recognize the value of this, just like any, you know, ethnic culture, right? We need to respect it. That's the first thing. It doesn't mean that we'll continue to just do that, you know, stop it changing, stop evolving. And that's what the second bullet is about, right? The second bullet, the middle bullet is saying that any immune system, no matter how great it is, it has limitations. So at a certain point in its life cycle, its side effect will outweigh the benefits. And that's true in any cultural phenomena we have seen. So the bottom bullet is saying we need to emphasize, accept, understand. And the next bullet is saying we also need to start recognizing the side effect. And we just needed to diagnose ourselves and say, oh yeah, this thing is doing this for us, right? It's doing very well to help us to do the doing mode, right? But it's inhibiting learning on the other side. And look at what are we doing? We're letting those opportunities just slide by us and while our competition is actually picking up. Or, you know, we somehow couldn't put a good product together because this expert A doesn't like expert B. All that. So we need to start recognizing the limitations of current immune system. Then the last step, the top bullet is saying, then we can start experimenting different ways of modifying our immune system. And the great insight that 
Bob Keegan came out with, which I totally agree, is that you actually only grow your mental modeling complexity through what he called optimal conflicts. You can't just pick up a book and read it and say, ah, I have evolved. <laughs> it's not that simple. You actually, I think you asked me in the previous talk, you know, how, yeah, what do people do uh, to begin with? I said, pick one thing, right? At most two that you really care about, but it's frustrating you, mm. right? Some dilemma, some puzzle, something that you really, really care about, but you couldn't move beyond it. That's how, that's where you can start examining your mental model in that context, and that will bring true insight to you. And yes, it will make you feel inadequate because that's the edge where you are. And if it doesn't make you that way, you're not at the right edge mm -hmm. to, to develop. Right. And of course, you know, you will be in a very vulnerable situation and you need support. And so uh, that's why, you know, a, a caring, uh, insightful manager is tremendous valuable for you. However, science is science. So what I want to emphasize here, you do not need the best manager, best CEO to do this. You have all the genius and power within yourself to do this. Otherwise, the best system would be monarchy, not democracy. Okay. Yeah, and do we have any further um, steps or is this the end of this process? I think I think this is the end of the step three. Okay. So um, so I think we we should probably stop here today. <laughs> yeah, we're coming up on That's, two hours, I think. Yeah, which is a lot. Uh, but I appreciate the chance to get into this stuff again, folks. You would you would pay a consultant <laughs> a lot of money to get insight like this, and and here it is, you know, being presented for you. Um, so do we have further episodes, I guess, to do is what, what I'm asking. Yes. So okay. next step, we will actually um, go into step four, mm -hmm. right? So let's say you invest in develop the competence, then how do you actually do it mm. in real world? Okay. Right? I want to give you a sort of preview what how things might look. And also just reinforce the question why do we want to do this, mm. right? This is obviously not easy. Why do you want to do this? So I want to come back and remember I introduced, you know, the concept of power and the love, right? Mm -hmm. So I want to say, you want to do this because you want more power and more love. So that's going to be the focus of next step. Awesome.
Okay. And I can say folks from my own experience studying some of the things that led into what, what Jan has given us uh, has built well on top of like he's provided another 50 stories <laughs> to the building that I that I've been uh, working on. Um, the, the stuff that I have learned and applied over the years has made me uh, far less involved in conflict or drama than I used to be. Um, I see things from afar <laughs> and I recognize what's going on over there. And I choose maybe not to get involved with that weird chemical reaction that's occurring between those people over there. Um, or, or maybe I can come in and steer them out of it into something uh, better, more productive. Um, so it's a, it has had tremendous value. Um, you know, in the, the, that learning ladder that we looked at early on, um, that again, 24 year old, 25 year old Jason was very concerned with what other people thought about him and would have started telling himself a story if you had walked past me and didn't acknowledge me, if we'd known each other. I would have built a story about that up. Yeah. Um, and I had to learn my way out of it. And even today, something like that might trigger, but now at least I have the chance to be aware of it and pounce on it and say, no, no, I don't know anything about what's going on in Yan's mind. Right. And maybe I'll go up to you and ask you, hey, this is bothering me. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me about yeah. it. Right. And, and maybe we'll have a dialogue and, and maybe you were annoyed at me and we'll resolve something. Or maybe I'll learn another story like, no, my dog just died or something like that. Right. And I'm preoccupied with this issue, which I knew nothing about. So, folks, this is as real as it gets. I mean, <laughs> if I could share, you know, some some uh, sort of kind of slightly embarrassing <laughs> personal things um, that's, you know, I can speak to it anyway. It's very human. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, awesome. Well, folks can uh, connect with you on LinkedIn um, if they want. And uh, I'm looking forward to having you back on to, to look at step four uh, and wrap this up. This has been... This has been a very interesting set of discussions, particularly since I look at the slides beforehand, I write notes, we have a dialogue about it there, and then we get on here, and still something different comes out, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> this I get, is... I get different perspective and, and understanding of what's actually being presented on the slides, right? So... Like I said, I'm trying to communicate, you know, more than half century of mm -hmm. scientific research here. Yeah. And it's 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 deep. It's mm -hmm. it, there's deep well. So um, you know. Um, so every time you dip into it, you find something new. Mm -hmm. That's very natural. Awesome. Well, Dr. Yan Song, thank you for being here today, and I look forward to talking to you again. Thank you. This was a pleasure. Thanks for tuning in. If you're interested in working with us at Cold Star Tech, here are some of the things that we can help with. There's a lot of people who talk about process, documentation control, attention to detail, all this stuff. We help organizations become true learning organizations. Remember, if something isn't written down or recorded in some way that's accessible, searchable, findable, it didn't happen. It might as well not have happened. So if you have two people who solve a problem, a serious problem in your organization, but they do so in isolation and nobody finds out about it, which happens all the time, then it didn't really happen and nobody else can access that wisdom. So we unlock wisdom for your organization. We do a lot of things in the space industry. We have access to regulatory and legal officials who can help you if you're a space industry founder find out 
what areas of regulation and compliance uh, do you need to be you know working with compliant with and we find a lot of folks don't even know about some of these areas they don't even know that they exist can you imagine how you're going to stumble and stub your toe and really screw up your organization's timetable if you don't know about these things so come and talk to us we've got great relationships with the right people especially in the united states and in england and uh, we'll be able to help you with that and so when it comes to process improvement, whether that's some sort of business documentation, business development roles, wow, have I seen some things in business development. You got founders out there who all they're doing is quoting on projects. This is a mistake. You're wasting your energy bidding on things that most of which you never even had a chance of winning in the first place. Uh, I've seen people bankrupt themselves bidding on everything or bidding on only these uh, high-end things and not realizing that you need to have a strategy so that this bidding process pays for itself. I mean, you got to learn how to screen here. And this is not something that they teach you in school. I, I had to learn it myself, so don't feel bad about it, but come talk to us about it, okay? Uh, so either it's on the business process side or the actual manufacturing of physical goods that kind of process improvement. You can come talk to us. Can this be done faster, cheaper, better? And yes, most of the time <laughs> it sure can um, because people just do stuff. And the first person to invent the way of doing things uh, is the person who gets to choose most of the time how things are done. This happens all over the place. I like to point out our um, traffic signals for, for automobiles are based on the way that they ran railway traffic 100 years before that, okay? So, and this is key in the space industry right now, which is new, right? This is an area that I personally am interested in. How we figure out how to do stuff today is going to impact generations because people are so easily locked into, this is how we've always done it. And if you hear that at your organization, there's a warning bell. This is how we've always done it. You need to come talk to us at that point, okay? So reach out to us. It's easy to do. Just message me on LinkedIn or email me at jason at coldstartech.com. I want to hear from you. Thanks for listening.